Welcome to Companion Pass. I'm thrilled to have you along on this wild ride as we explore the untamed world of rodeo life and the families and supporters that make it all happen. From thrilling arena action to quiet moments behind the scenes, this podcast is your ticket to the heart of true rodeo life. I'm Lindsay Branquino, and as a rodeo wife and mom myself, I've experienced firsthand the joys and challenges of life in and around rodeo. Together, we'll dive deep with rodeo families, rodeo athletes, and other folks who are living and breathing the Western way of life. We'll explore topics like raising families while husbands are away, navigating the dangers of a professional rodeo career, keeping a relationship alive when you're hundreds of miles apart, and what it takes to pursue your own goals in the midst of it all. Whether you're part of a rodeo family, a fan, or just someone who loves Western culture, Companion Pass will give you all the real, unfiltered insights you've been looking for. Let's dig in. Well, today is going to be a pretty fantastic episode because I get to have my favorite steer wrestler of all time and the sexiest man to ever wear carpenter jeans. Also the love of my life, Luke Branquino. Well, it's a good thing you put that last thing in. I was going to say Jacob Talley. (laughs) I don't think he wears carpenter jeans, does he? Mm, Probably a good thing he didn't. He'd break all the records if he did. (laughs) Oh, Luke, I am, I'm really happy to have you on here. You are definitely in what I like to call the hot seat because you are contractually obligated to answer any question that I may ask you. Are you prepared for this? Yeah, sure. Let's do this. <laughs> Fire um, at me. <laughs> well, today's show is going to be a little bit different because we're doing a little things a little bit backwards, to be honest. Like my guest is usually the companion of the rodeo athlete. But technically, I would have been your companion. So I guess that means you should technically be hosting this show and asking me the questions. Yeah, but I don't know if anybody's ever seen my show. I'm not very good at hosting anything. <laughs> I'm just letting you fire away and I will. I think maybe one of the things like first order of business that we should get out of the way because. I was a bit, I got a bit ahead of myself when I first launched Companion Pass and that I don't think I ever really broke down for people like where that name even came from. And so sometimes I think I wonder if people have any idea what I'm talking about or where that (laughs) name even comes from. So we're going to start here around episode 20 and share the information that probably should have been shared in episode one. So A companion pass, for those of you that don't know, when you are a WPRA, PRCA athlete, you have your card, which has your number on it. That's how you enter, everything like that. But when you get that card every year, they give you a secondary card that's actually called a companion pass that technically is supposed to be the thing that gets your plus one into the rodeos. I don't know that's necessarily... (laughs) what it does. It's not always the most effective at doing that, but that's the premise behind it. Yes, that's correct. But I also thought too, you gain followers and listeners elsewhere because there is a movie with Will Ferrell and they had a companion pass. So I think people hear that companion pass like, oh, wait, we get to listen to somebody significant. Luke, you've got to stop. It's not, I think it's called hall pass, not companion pass. Oh, that's right. It should be called Companion or Hall. Either way, people are going to be thinking, no, I'm sorry, you're right. It, the movie's called Hall Pass. <laughs> but the people are like, hey, a Companion Pass, that means that person's companion has a pass. Let's listen to these stories. I at in her name and it popped up. and I did it, You so. did? That's so embarrassing. For who? For- I'm not embarrassed. <laughs> Maybe you should be. Jessica Beale's the bomb, okay? So, yeah, he's saying that Jessica Beale is his hall pass. I'm sure I'm hers, but she's got <laughs> AT, so whatever. Uh-huh. He's not even half the man you are. No, I'm 235. He might be 160, 170. <laughs> oh, gosh. Okay, who's your hall pass companion pass? Um... I don't know. I want to say probably maybe Sam Hewen, a.k.a. Jamie from Outlander. But 
I've been reading a lot of books lately. And so it might be a fictional literary character these days. I'm going to have to make a list and itemize them. No, you don't. It's it's one. one. I'm just mean like process of elimination. I need to a list of pros and cons, figure out exactly who's going to come out on top. Oh, this guy has fangs or this one has wings and (laughs) this one's not real. None of them are real. Anyways, moving on. We'll get back to business. So I was thinking, you know, you and I have a lot of history and all of it revolves around rodeo. But I thought maybe we should just start at the beginning, which I know is just your very favorite time period in our relationship to relive. Not necessarily because the story (laughs) you tell is a lie. Every time I say that part of the story, you're like, no, it happened. I got exactly how it happened at Red Bluff. I waved at you, tried to get your attention. Nothing negative, nothing ever. All right. If people aren't familiar with our bickering, we have slightly different variations of how Luke and I met. We met when we were both rodeoing. I had just left college my freshman year so that I could pro-rodeo full-time. And Luke is had been rodeoing for a few years. Anyways, he says that when we were both at Red Bluff, he said hello to me and I was I is your story that I was on my horse or was I leading my horse? No, you were on your horse. Okay, so I was on my horse walking across the track back to the trailer and he said hello to me and I just ignored him. Which Completely. I don't <laughs> Which I don't think ever happened. Now, I'm not going to say that you're a liar, but if you did say hello to me, which seems far-fetched because you're a substantial man. It's hard to miss you. I would think that I would have seen you. But if I did not say hi back and you did actually say hi, I have to think that it was just because I genuinely did not see you. Because when I do remember seeing you, which was a couple months later, I was pretty instantly taken with you. So I can't imagine that I would have ignored you at the beginning. Maybe it was first time jitters and got the snooty pants on. (laughs) I don't think it was ever snooty pants. I was so incredibly shy and just like absolutely scared of my own shadow that I very much was like kept my head down and kept to myself because I was terrified that anybody was going to talk to me. So maybe that was what happened. That's your story. (laughs) I'm glad that we did finally connect a few months later when at the Turlock Rodeo you walked up and offered me a hot dog that you had stashed in your shirt pocket. Welcome. What a pickup line. <laughs> Would you like a I mean, hot what, dog? What girl doesn't like a hot dog? Out of somebody's pocket. <laughs> With mustard on it. That was the weirdest thing. If you're going to pick one condiment to put on a hot dog as your like icebreaker to the girl that you want to talk to, you chose mustard? What, did I just have you slow, so flustered that you could no longer choose a a decent condiment? Technically, I didn't even know what was on it. I just found it and was wrapped up. <laughs> I knew you weren't going to eat my hot dog on the first date. Oh my God. So I thought, I actually, I don't really remember where I got it. Oh. I don't mind mustard on my hot dogs. No, you did take a bite. Did I? Yeah, you did. I think I found it on the ground. That's so weird. And you, okay, but. So if I, I knew taken you weren't going to take my hot dog. Okay, but if I did take it, were you going to let me eat it for real? Yes. You so a hot dog you found on the ground. You would have let me eat. You looked like you needed something to eat. <laughs> you were oh. blown away in the wind. Was there something else that you wanted to say about that night? It was a wonderful night. I think just the conversation alone let us knew that we were supposed to be together. Okay, so we get past Hot Dog Gate, and then we did spend quite a few hours just chatting in your trailer, and I've said it before on this podcast, but I think I knew that night that you were something pretty special because you made me feel like just really comfortable, and I felt like you were somebody that I'd known for a long time, and you felt like a friend. Like you made me laugh, and that's always been one of your very best qualities. And then you wrote my phone number on the back of a checkbook, and I think you shook my hand. Like you were such a gentleman. Oh, that sounds so Billy Booganigish. 
<laughs> what does? Shaking your hand. <laughs> I um, thought it yes. was sweet. I did write it on the back of that checkbook. And I used to have that thing. I lost it for a while. And I, I don't know if I still have it. I don't know if I do. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't that be something if I did still have it somewhere? That would really be something. I still have the same phone number. That's Yeah. Well, I, <laughs> I remember your number now. I memorized it. Uh, that's pretty great. So then we fast forward a little bit. We got married. And we got married, what, it was about a week before we left for the finals that year, wasn't it? It was, yeah, the 20th, 7th, 20th, 7th of November. <laughs> and I don't remember if the finals was early or late. I'm going to say it was like on the 4th or 5th it started. Yeah. So we left just a few days later. That was like on top of the world because you won your first world championship that year. So we were just, that was a pretty great time in our lives, right? Yeah, it was amazing. And I honestly credit a lot of that to, to you because you, I think you made me, I don't even know how to explain it. How would I explain that? I'm not sure what you're trying to say. I don't think whatever you're trying to say is something you've ever told me before. I just think having you in my life, <clears throat> I credited a lot of that to to my success early on. And I don't know what it was about you. You just helped me feel confident or more confident in myself. Oh, Luke, that's like the nicest thing you've ever said to me. Ever? You thought I can remember? Yeah. <laughs> I just, that one time you were in the bathing suit? <laughs> I think that's surprising hearing you say that. Because I always saw you as somebody who was just like supernaturally confident. And I didn't think that was something that I had anything to do with. Yeah, it does. Okay. I don't want to talk about it anymore. <laughs> uh, so we go from that, that like a couple months. And then that next year, you and I tried to rodeo together. And I would just say that the best way to summarize this next period in our life is that it was all downhill from there. <laughs> Does that feel like a fair assessment to you? Yeah, it's a tough time, really. You were in the trailer with three or four steer wrestlers and trying to enter around our schedule. I can remember on our honeymoon, I was had my cell phone out trying to figure out how to enter Denver and enter where you would get up the same as us, or it was tough. It really was. Yeah. I think then, I don't know about you, but I think going into it, because we met, got engaged, got married fairly quickly. And I think we were both so young that I didn't really think that stuff through very well. Like the actual logistics of how we were going to make things work. I think I was just like so young and in love and over the moon about it all, that it was like, yeah, it's all just going to work out. And I was pretty naive about a lot of it. And so I would say that reality came crashing in, at least for me, pretty quickly. Yeah, I would say so. I didn't understand the logistics of it either. And then when it got tough, I felt like you always were in second and I had to go put myself first, which we talk about how rodeo is a selfish sport, especially if a person wants to be the best, you, I felt, especially me, I only put myself in front and it was very selfish. And I felt like that was a really shitty thing to do back then because you got put on the back burner. I think just the reality of it was that going into that year, you obviously had a much more successful and established career than I did. And even though we were married, so we could technically have entered together so that we were up at rodeos at the same time. We weren't doing that because you were entering with other guys because you guys are sharing horses and stuff. So it was all just like a wing and a prayer and crossing our fingers that hopefully I'd get up at a similar enough time that I'd be able to go because we were all in one rig. And that was really difficult for me. And I just had no, I didn't have the skills I needed. I didn't have the communication ability to know how to weather any of that. And I think that kind of, in a way, maybe got us started off on the wrong foot. Because I, at that point, started my, what's been, what was, became my MO in just not speaking up about things and letting you 
just letting everything about your rodeo career, because really our lives just so quickly began to revolve around not just rodeo, but really your rodeo career. That was that became the center of our universe, right? Yeah, it did. And I do feel like I kept having success, so it just kept magnifying more, gravitating more that way. Really, I don't, we didn't really see it or stop it or change it ever. No, <laughs> we really didn't. He retired now, so we finally put an end to it somehow. Get you a barrel horse, start rodeoing again. <laughs> but that summer, that first year we were married, you tore your pec, you got hurt, you had to, you had to have surgery, and they told you that you were going to be out for six months. And so that kind of was another blow. Like we're still trying to navigate being newly at weds. We're doing a pretty piss poor job of it. And then you get hurt and everything, it was the wheels fell off. So we came home and I, without question, came home with you. I felt like my job as your wife was to take care of you and, and stay with you. And so that's what I did. And I think in that time period, like I really lost myself. I didn't know what I had no direction. I didn't know what to do. I didn't feel like just everything about the way that I saw my life going was completely different. And you didn't see it in a single wide mouse infested mobile home? <laughs> that's where we lived. Now, that's another thing. We didn't even plan on being home. We never even thought about a place to live because we were just going to go and rodeo. rodeo, be young and carefree. And then when we had to come home, it was like, where are we going to live? So we did live in that single wide mobile home on the ranch. And that part didn't bother me at all. It was just How that. many of the mice did you name? I don't think at the time I was quite as taken with them as the other animals that have entered my life since. That was awful. <clears throat> but I think it wasn't then that next January you were all healed up and you hit the road and you left me at home. I did. Yeah. I was going to try to win another world championship. Yeah. So then I think going into that year, like we hadn't really... We set this precedent that was not particularly healthy. Like it was out of balance. And and I say all this not just so that you and I can relive the most tumultuous and trying time in our marriage, which I know you really love to do. But I bring it up because I think people see now with social media and everything, like they see where you and I are at or have been at in the last, say, five years, six years, seven years in a relationship. And that's a much different place than where we started. And I think that it's important to say, I love and adore everything about you. I love you unconditionally. I really feel like we have what we have now and as strong a relationship as we have because of everything we went through and that we found a way to weather those storms even when it was really difficult. Uh, for sure, but I think I'm going to say on 100% level, 98% of that went to you trying to make us better. I was still selfish and stubborn and still tried to do things just my way or the highway. And you kept fighting and digging and grinding to make us what we are now. And I love you every much and or even more for that because of your willingness to make it, make us work. I just, there was no part of me that ever wanted to give up on us because I think that there always was that love there and like a true, genuine spark. And, and it always really felt like God put you in my life for a reason and, and you were that person. So I think that it's those things that always made me stay. Not that it was always easy, but I think you also have to give yourself credit in that you have grown a lot and you're a much different person now sitting here and even just hearing you talk about, oh, I was really selfish during that period and I was making decisions based only on what I wanted or what was best for me. That's very different from the man that you are today. So you deserve a lot of credit for all the growth that you've done. Yeah, but you're the one that fed me that to make me grow. Honestly, I, I do I believe that wholeheartedly. So you're a great chef. Oh, Luke, your analogies are always just tip top. Oh, One of the people can't see me smiling. Sorry. 
<laughs> One of the things that I will say was really difficult for me during that period was that I gave up on the rodeo dreams that I had. I felt like it was is what it was what I needed to do. I didn't see how I didn't see a clear path to how I could make it make that work. I didn't know how to make it work financially if I wasn't going to be winning. I didn't want to be a burden financially. I didn't want to because that would have meant two of everything if I was actually going to rodeo. We'd had to get a whole second rig, and so that meant me having to walk away from that. And and like I said, I felt really lost just about who I was because I, for as long as I could remember, thought that's what that that was what I was going to do with my life. And so when so early on, it turned out that was not where my life was headed at that point. That was really hard for me. And I there was there was years where it was really difficult for me to even go to a rodeo to watch you just going there. And I don't think that I'll ever forget the feeling of, man, I thought I was going to be able to do this without crying. You can, or, or cry, just let it go. <laughs> of just like the lump in my throat, like I couldn't watch the barrel race because it felt like. It should have been you. <laughs> I, I don't know if it should have been me, but I wanted it to be me. I, I think it felt like a, a period of mourning that was like really it, watching it or being there made it a little bit too real about how far removed I was. And I think part of the hardest part was that I think it was probably a realization that would probably never be my life. Going back to my notebooks on what to say to make everything all better. <laughs> I don't have anything other than what you've done with your future after that has been amazing. And it was, it's. No, I think it's definitely one of those things where like, when you give it time and space and you've moved on and you can look back on it with the benefit of a little bit of distance, it's not, I was going to say it's not quite as emotional, but clearly it is. But you can see it a little bit more clearly in that that left turn that your life took that was a little bit unexpected or that my life took that was really unexpected at the time was how things were supposed to be because the way that they've worked out and the life we had and the path that my life has taken since then has been really wonderful and maybe it wouldn't be it wouldn't be where I am doing the things that I am that I really love now if I had followed down that path I think it was just really hard for me to feel like I don't know if I I don't know if it's the too harsh to say that those things were taken from me I think the emotions you still have, I think, are completely understandable because the, those were dreams and goals and aspirations you had before we had even met. And obviously, you didn't get to fulfill any of those because a lot of reasons, but mainly because of my career path and choice choices I made for us, even though you didn't get to have any, you weren't involved in any of those. So for you to still have emotions towards that, I think is completely understandable. Yeah, I think in a way that they'll always be there. But I think that's one of the greatest lessons I learned from that is that even when your life veers from what you think it should look like or what you expect it to look like, Going through change is always hard, and that's where the most growth happens. And I know that I really grew a lot as a person through having to go through that stuff. And it sucks when you're in when you're in it and you're going through it and change. And at a young age, yeah, for sure, having to experience it. But I don't know that it taught me a lot about myself and about what I was capable of and what I could handle by having to go through it and it didn't it didn't do it genuinely didn't do anything but make me stronger which i think is such a cliche what doesn't kill you make you stronger but it's really true i think a lot of the things that i needed or that i would need further down the line like 
becoming a mom, a lot of the skills that I needed to get through that kind of came out of that period of me having to learn a lot of things the hard way. Not the hard way, not only the hard way, but by yourself. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's to go back to why what you're doing here with Companion Pass, I think hearing the stories of people, which they didn't maybe necessarily have to do as many of them by themselves because of leaders like you able to help them or even girls just listening to this or companions just listening to this. But you pretty much did it all by your lonesome. <laughs> I don't really all by your lonesome. <laughs> I don't know that I really had a choice most of the time. And I wouldn't even say I think you're giving me a lot of credit there, which is very sweet of you. And I don't know that I deserve it all. But I think just the the social media blowing up and becoming so huge now, I think it just allows, say, girls or women, like if it had been me, you can just see other people doing it. Somebody else is going through what you're going through. And it does make you feel less alone, which I think is huge. Because I definitely struggled with that a lot is not feeling understood or having close friends or anything that were going through anything remotely similar to what I was going through. So when I was having like tough days or whatever, I just felt like I don't think anybody else could possibly understand what I'm going through. And if I tell them they're going to this is going to sound so crazy. Look at you like, are you even married? Are you just (laughs) what is a psychopath woman even talking about? (laughs) Absolutely. I was like just turning with 21 years old. Most of my friends were still in college and were going out partying. They certainly wasn't, weren't married to an imaginary cowboy who came home twice a year and that was it. Twice a year? <laughs> it was three or four times. <laughs> I think that's another thing that's changed about rodeo a little bit. And I don't know if it was just the way that you were rodeoing at the towards the end of your career. But when we were first married... Like you left in January and you came home in what, May? And then you were home for about a month and then you'd leave in June and you'd come home end of September. Yeah. I'm trying to think that when they changed the season to end in September, we weren't married yeah. yet when they ended in uh, in uh, November 1st of, we, or end of October. Yeah, we were married when it ended November 1st. But I'm just saying you really didn't come home. You were home maybe three months out of the year. Yeah, and I think it goes to, I think there were guys out there that were rodeoing not like that, but I think it was because I was, I didn't know, I just knew the commitment and was 1,000% going towards that goal. And looking back on it, I think I could have had the same success had I maybe not gave it all that. I don't know. I think But I just, I think... A lot of guys rodeo didn't rodeo like me. I think they, you don't think they rodeoed as hard as you did. No, I don't. I don't, honestly don't think so. I think they were committed, but not, I guess, the way I was committed myself to it. Yeah, one of the things that we talk about on this podcast is like the dedication and drive that the most successful people that you see in rodeo have and how it's really second to none. And when I think about you or I talk about you and I say he was so dedicated, he was so focused, I don't know that people understand that like you had tunnel vision and for years nothing really existed outside of rodeo for you at all. Not me (laughs) as your wife, not your family, nothing. It was You were very much, I wouldn't even say all or nothing because nothing wasn't even an option. No, you're spot on in tunnel vision. I'm just, I'm trying to put myself back into that place. No, please don't go. In my head, put myself back into that place. And I honestly, you're exactly right. It was tunnel vision. That was my focus, my goal, my, my all, my everything. It really was. And I can tell you that. One of the best things I ever did was accept that because for the first couple years, I was constantly in this state of thinking, if I could do something different or 
better as a wife and get your attention or make you happier or make your life easier or any of these crazy tangible things I convinced myself of, then that would earn me a little bit more of your attention. And I drove myself crazy trying to do that because it was not possible. Yeah. Um, if anything, it might have been had a reverse effect. <laughs> I can attest to that. I think it did. I guess I didn't know that at the time or even think of that until you just said that. I just had like a, a breakthrough moment here. But in thinking that is I tried so hard to be this like unattainable perfect. Uh, <laughs> I think it was at the finals there was somebody took a picture of me and you're over my shoulder in the background. And if people even, they don't even understand that's how our lives were for so long and it sucks. It shouldn't have been. You were always behind me instead of alongside of me because I know that's what you did to support me and give me the best opportunity I could. And you should have been right alongside of me, not behind me. And I love that picture and I absolutely hate that picture all at the same time. That is really crying? sad. <laughs> I don't know. This is just like the saddest podcast I've ever done. I'm just going to cry the whole time. So I'll tell you. It's funny now thinking of this analogy, but it got to a point where I just saw Rodeo as like your girlfriend, right? Like Rodeo was just your mistress and I was going to have to, like a sad Dolly Parton song, I was just going to have to accept that was Dolly who? Life. <laughs> and send you out knowing that you were going somewhere away from me that was going to make you happy and feel fulfilled and everything you were looking for. And then two, know that at some point, rodeo has a way of breaking your heart. It's hard. It's going to hurt you. And that then you would come back to me in order to maintain any of my sanity. I was going to have to accept that I had to share. Yeah, that's a great <laughs> way to put it. Are you for me, the success came from, like you said, compartmentalizing that to when I was on the road, it was rodeo. And even when I was home, it was rodeo, whether it was practicing or having guys, you lived it. I don't have to explain it to you, but <laughs> that's how it was. It was when, even when I was home, I was still rodeoing. Yeah. I think that's what I mean when I said, like at the beginning of the podcast, like, Rodeo was just, it was our son. Everything about our life revolved around that. <clears throat> and that's one of the things that I think, I hope people, and I know that this isn't not everybody's quite as all or nothing as you were, but that when you're somebody like me who is married to a rodeo athlete, who is competing at the level that you were, it just, everything about your lives revolves around it. And even for the person that's not rodeoing, your life is dictated by rodeo just as much as the person that you're married to. Because there's no other way around it. You're, you plan everything that happens in your life around the scheduling, around where you have to be. And then like you said, there was never any off season for anything that that you ever did. It was if you weren't at a rodeo, you were practicing for one, you were preparing for the next one. And there was just forget balance. We didn't even, that wasn't even a thought to me is to try to find any balance because there wasn't any for so many years. I often wonder if we were 20 years younger, how different it would be because of how rodeo has evolved and how rodeos are paying now. And if I was as talented like I was then, 20, anyway. How, if it would have been any different, going to Houston that counts for 50000 or Fort Worth that's paying 20-some thousand now, or Calgary where 50000 counting, or the American where 50000 of that money counted, if it would have been any different, or if it would have still been the same. I just, it, I think about that. I feel like, I can answer that because I don't know that it had to do with, I think it has more to do with your personality than the way rodeo was structured at the time. I don't know that you could have ever done it 
part way. I don't know that if you went out, we're in the scenario you're saying where you're 20 years, we're both 20 years younger, we're at the start of your career and rodeo is different like it is now. Say you went and won those things. I don't see you going home in June with $200,000 once you know you made the finals and just sitting out all summer to spend time at home with me and the mice in the single wide. Oh, yeah. We didn't have kids then, did we? <laughs> oh, you only stay home for the kids. What a blessing they've been, too. Oh, my God. <laughs> Goodness. Are you changing the subject? No, I just... It's, I. They have. It's just crazy <laughs> to think about how rodeos evolved, but yet I would still be doing the same selfish stuff that I was doing and winning, you know, whatever I was winning and, and keep winning. Yeah, I, this is not even about me calling you selfish. I just think that was your, that's your like competitor mentality. And I will say all of these things that we just said that led to some difficult times for us were also the exact same qualities in you that made you so, so successful. I mean, they had their upsides. It was just absolutely a double-edged sword. Yeah, definitely double-edged. I think one side was definitely sharper. Oh. <laughs> it cut a little deeper, that's for sure. Yeah. But some at some point along the way, and it was after we had Cade, not long after him, I think that you know maybe it was the introduction of having our own kids that our relationship really began to change. And so having kids and starting our family and that being important to you, I think was one of big catalysts for things improving. And then I will say that I think another really important thing that happened along the way is that it was around the same time that I was, was saying earlier that I felt like I needed to just accept that I had to share you with Rodeo. Um, is that allowed, that freed up a lot of my energy and time to focus on myself and what I wanted. And I don't know that anything made a bigger difference in my own personal happiness than figuring out what I wanted separately from you and what I was passionate about and what I was driven to do and then going after that. So my life stopped revolving completely around you and started being much more fulfilled by things that just genuinely made me happy again. And so I think that's a really important thing and a piece of advice that I would give to anybody out there, regardless of whether or not they are living a rodeo life, is to never count on one person to be your everything. And that by focusing on yourself and pursuing your own dreams will only make you happier and also more valuable and willing to give to the other people in your life. That's what I did. <laughs> I've learned so much from you, Luke. You're welcome. <laughs> I will say you're not near as selfish as I was, though. Thank you. <laughs> Such a sweetheart. Oh, gosh. I do feel like having Kate, it's, I don't want to say, occupied your time with something else other than me not being there, which obviously it, it does if anybody that's ever had kids knows that. It's just another, not occupying in a bad way, but it just takes your mind off other things. And even for me, it was fun when he was, I could remember this thinking back in my memory banks, taking him out in the truck and him going hunting with me and we go shooting things and just how much joy that brought me to be able to go out and do that with him. And that was when I was home. So when I wasn't home, that was stuff you got to do stuff with him. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I've said it several times and it's something that other rodeo wives have shared that they experience as well is that when you add kids to the mix, of course it adds a different layer of it's there. They take a lot of time and energy and all of that. And it's difficult to do on your own for sure. But also you just don't feel so alone anymore. And the loneliness as a rodeo wife, since that's the spirit experience I can speak to, can become so intense and overwhelming that when you have kids and you're just not alone and you have somebody there to love and hug and 
it makes a huge difference. Absolutely. And I guess, too, he was a surprise. <laughs> so what better surprise? It's It was, I was still shocked for quite some time, <laughs> but I honestly did see the excitement that it was bringing you. And even though you asked me to go to those classes and I didn't, <laughs> I knew that you would be amazing at it. Okay, so we should just say I'm absolutely throwing you under the bus here because you still deserve it. This is still ranks among your top five worst Luke moments in our marriage. Is that Luke, like we've established, was very absent and non-participatory in my pregnancy. In my life in general at the time, aside from the part that got us in that position. And so he not only refused to even entertain talking about baby names, but everything. I don't think, did you go to a single doctor's appointment with me when I was pregnant with Cade? Yeah. Yeah, I went to one. Oh, the one where we found out he was a boy, right? Yes. Yeah. So he went to a single doctor's appointment with me. And my first baby, I'm scared of childbirth as most women are, I think. And I just kept asking him, I'm like, can we go to a class? Can we go to the hospital? Can we talk to somebody? And he's shut down every single conversation. Absolutely. No, it's not going to happen. And it's why not? And he's like, I think that's stupid. I'm like, you're not the one that's going to have to give birth at some point. And I think this may have even been your suggestion. Was it not to get the videos? Is DVD, yes. Yes. So Luke thinks he's really done something. And is look, I bought these childbirth birthing DVDs. It's but they were also from like 1970. I think they were 70. It was so bad. They were so old. And so then my water broke 10 days early and we were on our way to the hospital. He brought a friend by the way. He I called him I and said support. I called he needed support. I called him and said my water broke. He's I'll be right there. He came, he showed up with a friend. So the three of us <laughs> went to the hospital and on the way down there I was like terrified by the way I was like Luke did you watch those DVDs and he's like oh I was gonna do that this weekend hey listen he I had didn't 10 watch- more days I thought he 10 days out of 40 weeks you had 10 days left didn't watch a single video brought a friend for his moral support to the hospital I called my sister in Arizona who managed to get on a plane, get to the hospital in California in time for me to give birth. And towards the end, when I'm walking around and things are getting serious, I just remember her leaning over and saying, would you like me to wake Luke up now? What's, doesn't everybody nap in the hospital? You slept through the entire thing. You woke up like in time for me to push. And she also had to wake friend up and ask him, to please leave the room. And I think that he was probably so relieved at that point that he had been excused. He's like, yeah, yeah, I'll go outside now. He was like, thank God, I've been pretending to sleep for the last six hours. This was getting really uncomfortable, guys. Listen, not my best time, okay? Not my best moment. Oh, I don't want this to just be the podcast where we beat up on Luke. Because I do want to say that we've come full circle and I really do feel, I genuinely, and I've been telling people this, that things over the years got a lot better. And like I said, we've grown so much and I think you're pretty wonderful despite never having watched those childbirthing videos. But in the last- I did pop them in later. Oh, you did not. No. And they oh, were later, like after- soft porn. Stop. Oh my God. That is so bad. If only you'd known beforehand, you might have watched them. I don't know. It had a lot of... <laughs> anyway, earmuff vibes. <laughs> Stop. But I would describe this period in our relationship that we're in as like definitely our honeymoon phase. It took us a little bit longer to get there than it does most people. But since you've retired and we get to be together all the time, I don't know about you. And please do not be honest if you don't agree with me. But I kind of love spending every single day with you and doing all the ridiculous mundane things that people 
just have always gotten to do go grocery shopping and drive to town together and all of that. Yes, I think those are amazing things to do. Yes, I love them. (laughs) Picking eggs and (laughs) talking to the chickens and donkeys together. (laughs) I will say I thought I was, I just absolutely was so irritated that we got a donkey, but I, I do love Clementine. Clementine, our donkey, is the cutest Did you call thing. her ours, not just yours? Yeah. Oh, that's so sweet. I, I thought she was just us now. No. I mean, the she's chickens more are all yours. Oh, that's fine. They like I'll, me more, for sure. I eat Clementine the eggs, likes me more. Too. You talk to the chickens. <laughs> exactly. Why do you think that they make you so many wonderful eggs? They're happy chickens. That guineas, on the other hand. I agree with that. But I do just, I love getting to spend every day with you. And I feel like there has been quite a few moments where I've, in the last year, where I've sat back and thought to myself, oh, this might make me cry too. Hold on. <clears throat> you sure it's not allergies? I'm sure. That I have sat back and thought to myself, this was why, this was all worth it. This is what makes it all worth it. This is what made all those difficult years worth it. This was that someday that I was always hoping for is what you and I have now. And I am so proud of us and how far we've come and that this is the life that we've built together. I'm proud of you for sticking with me and believing in me and not giving up on me because if it hadn't been for you, I don't know, we obviously wouldn't be here. You're my everything. (laughs) I would if you're you were my, my ex-husband. If you were my ex-husband, I absolutely would not have you on this podcast. That would be so awkward. You think so? Oh anyway. yeah, I'd be talking. I'd be talking about you. I'd be talking badly about you with a different guest. With your second husband? <laughs> yep. I will say that it has been amazing, and I do love, even though I'm still involved with the Western way of life through television. It's been. Amazing to be able to have you come along with me and enjoy those moments of it's almost like me starting over because let's be honest, what this year with the PBR teams and stuff, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. (laughs) And it was like having you right there by my side to watch me grow in a different way. And I've enjoyed it. Yeah, I guess in some ways it feels like we got a little bit of a second chance, like a do over. Yeah, do-overs are always nice. (laughs) Okay, towards the end of every episode, we've been doing a couple things on the podcast. So you're going to do them now too. So one is that I ask you a question that has been left by a previous guest of the podcast for a future guest. And it's all anonymous. You don't get to know who any of it was. Are you ready for question number one? Yes. If you had to compete in a different event other than the one you do, steer wrestling, what would it have been and why? Lucky for you, I would have been a tie-down roper, and I know how you feel about tie-down ropers, because (laughs) I made in 1999, way back when, I made the circuit finals in the tie-down roping. Not the steer wrestling. And in fact, I Wait, had you a, made it wait, you made it that year in only the calf roping? Yes. Oh. And had I was 50-50 on the fence whether I was gonna go rodeo as a tie-down calf roper or a steer wrestler. Fortunately for me, I picked steer wrestling because I don't think I'd have been very good at tie-down roping at all. <laughs> of the end of my professional rodeo career. So, you're, and I wouldn't have probably met you. Anyway. You're you're built a lot more like a steer wrestler than you are a calf roper. I'll just say that. Duh. Okay. That was a good one. And last order of business is, can you tell me your favorite rodeo moment or memory? Yeah, I think looking memories... Moments, memory, I don't know, are they the same or are they different? Because Yeah, they're the same. I could I could remember winning the world championship in fourteen and looking up 
in the stands and seeing the people that had helped me accomplish that. Because for a lot of people don't know, in 2014, I was winning the world, going into Salinas. Boom, injury blew out my latissimus dorsi. That is the scientific term for it. My lat muscle, which is a back muscle, not necessarily shoulder, but they go through the back of the shoulder to fix it. And anyway, I was told that six, eight month recovery, and as well as anybody that as far as in four months from the time of injury, that is probably one of the, the most memorable moments in my head is after the 10th round, winning the average, winning the world, and looking up and seeing you with the boys minus bear, because you were guys were the ones that helped me get to that. I, I want to say pinnacle because it, it really was a pinnacle in my career. Yeah. That year is my favorite Luke rodeo memory. Also, you were amazing that week. And I think being the person who was there every single day, watching how hard you worked through rehab and how painful it was and the mental toll it took and the self doubt and the just so much strength and the fortitude that you showed as a competitor and just your spirit was amazing. And so I think when you came back in four months, when they had told you six months, I went into the finals that year thinking, I'm just happy to be here. I'm just happy he's here. I'm happy to be watching him. He was able to come here and compete. And you didn't run a steer until like the week before at all. I run a few Um, on the ground maybe before that. but Yeah. And so just watching you and then that, you know, the first night that you did great and then that momentum that you picked up throughout the week and it was just like this pinnacle that you used was the perfect word because it was just this magical week. You were this like, you were so unstoppable and had such a mission and it was one of the greatest, I don't know, things in my own life that I've ever gotten to experience is seeing how far you came and how much you worked through it and then watching you that week just be on fire, just magical. And it was really incredible. And it was, I think, maybe round nine, round eight, when you woke me up in the hotel room and you were sitting on the floor beside the bed and you were like, what if I actually pull this off? And it was like one of the only times that I saw you be human that week is you had these thoughts like this might actually happen. I might be able to, I might actually be able to do this. And then you did. And that was just... I don't think it gets better than that. That's like better than the Mighty Ducks ending. The Flying V? It was better than the Flying V? <laughs> and the Flying yeah. V was pretty spectacular. It was spectacular. Oh, I agree. All right. I'm really happy you were here. Thank you for coming on. And I'll see you in two minutes when I come inside the house. Yeah, be careful. Don't get wet. It's raining out there. <laughs> I love you. I hope you've had as much fun as I have listening to the heartwarming stories, adventures, mishaps, and life lessons from the arena and beyond. Now that you're officially a member of our Big Rodeo family, it would mean so much to us if you could take a moment to leave a rating and a written review. I'm passionate about putting these stories out into the world, and I love hearing your feedback. Knowing exactly what you want to hear more of or how an episode resonated with you helps us to continue to grow and, most importantly, share even more of our wild rodeo lives.